The reading this morning is from Deuteronomy 1, verses 1 to 8. The chapter is titled, The Command to Leave Horeb. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. That is, in the Arabah, op opposite Suth, between Iran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth Road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This was after he had defeated Sahon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, and at Edri had defeated Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. Well, Rosemary thinks that I gave her that reading as a kind of maliciousness because I was preaching, uh, but uh, it is really Deuteronomy that we're starting on today, and it really does have all those names, and it wasn't my fault that I had Deuteronomy chapter 1. So uh, one way can be nice to her because those really are very difficult names to pronounce, and I've practiced them with her actually several times before. So one, give her a round of applause for actually being able to do that. Hey, if you don't know me, I'm Brian Harris, service pastor at large here, and uh, my huge privilege to introduce the book of Deuteronomy. Book, book, book of Deuteronomy serves as uh, Moses is drawing to the end of his ministry. He's taken the, the Israelites out of Egypt, and his responsibility initially was to take them to the promised land, and he thought that he would help them to enter into the promised land, but in the course of events, it turns out that he takes them just to the edge of the promised land, and they, they're there waiting to enter. And as his life draws to an end, he recollects all the things that have been learnt in the journey. And Deuteronomy, uh, which means like the second law, the second law giving of, of, of Moses, uh, that uh, in, in Deuteronomy there are five major uh, speeches which Moses gives. Well, three of them are major, two of them read a lot into it. And I'm going to view it as almost poetic. And, and strictly in terms of biblical interpretation, you probably shouldn't do that. Uh, but, hey, I'm not the principal of Vos anymore, so maybe I can and maybe I can get away with it. So, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6, there's just this suggestive little phrase that, that God says to Moses, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. You have stayed long enough at this mountain. What was the mountain? mountain was Mount Sinai, also known as Mount Horeb. And... Uh, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, just extraordinarily significant mountain in the Bible. And... I guess the thing to recognize is that you might hear 
these words, you've stayed long enough at this mountain, and, and kind of view that as God saying to the Israelites, come on, keep moving on your journey, and you, you know, don't stop here too long. And, and you might think that it's not such a big deal to be told, move along. But actually, when you're at Mount Sinai, when you're at Mount Horeb, it's the sort of place that you really do want to stay. It's, it's not really like saying to someone who likes always goes to McDonald's, you know, kind of, stop going to McDonald's. It's time to move on from McDonald's, you know, go to Timber, something like that, step up. It, it's not like that. This is an extraordinary place. This is a place you could very happily be all your life. I have actually been to Mount Sinai or, or Mount Horeb, and I can't hear the name without kind of remembering. Uh, remembering uh, when I was pastor at Amschlanger Baptist Church many years ago, now 20, 20, 27 years ago, um, the church said to me, hey, listen, it's lovely to have you preaching, and you preach from the Bible week after week, but you've never actually been to Israel. So how about we send you there so that when you start speaking about the Bible, you, you have a better sense of the geography. A really nice church there. Uh, and, and like, I'm not suggesting that you should do that necessarily, but like Pete wouldn't mind, I'm sure. But uh, there you go. He hasn't paid me to say that. Um, so I was sent on this, this wonderful trip to Israel, and... Uh, you know, if you were to say to me, what are the things that stand out? It, it was an extraordinary trip. We started in Egypt. It, it felt like we were going on the journey of the Israelites out of Egypt through the Sinai Desert, then into Israel. And there were highlights just everywhere. In the course of two weeks, we had over 70 stops at different places. So it was, was like really bu busy, really full on. And uh, in Egypt, I remember, we, we began our trip at the Cairo Museum, which is extraordinary, like just this history of all the pharaohs, and it, it was an amazing, amazing museum to actually go through. And uh, in Israel, if you were to say to me what was my favorite spot in Israel, I'm not sure I'd talk in terms of favorite, but the thing that I found most impacting was to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there is an olive orchard there that has been surviving since the fifth century, and the one that Jesus prayed and was destroyed in, in warfare, but that olive orchard is in the same spot, and it's been there for 1,500 years now, and you can just sense the atmosphere that, that in that Garden of Gethsemane, that's where Jesus prayed, and then there's a church there, the Church of All Nations, and uh, astonishing as I as I walked in there it's it's been designed to uh, the, the whole architecture is just designed to make you feel reflective and to think and to sense the presence of God and there was another tourist group that had gone through just at the same time as I as our group went in and as they walked to the front of this church they just spontaneously burst into song and I, I I don't know what language it was because I, I don't know what language group they were the, the 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 words I couldn't understand but it was the most beautiful music that I think I've ever heard and I, and I can remember just standing there feeling overwhelmed by the presence of God just just overwhelmed it was a spectacular place uh, if you know the Irish they speak of thin places and thin places are places where you, you, you feel so close to God. There's something about the place that, like all the barriers that are usually between humans and God just, just fall away. And, and that was a thin place where it was just very easy to experience the presence of God. And I've got to say that Mount Sinai was that as well, because in our journey through, through the Sinai Desert, we stopped at St. Catherine's, where, where the monastery of St. Catherine's is. It's, uh, if it's not the oldest operating monastery in the world, it is one of the oldest. It's been operating since, since the 500s. Uh, the oldest operating library in the world. It's, 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 it's the largest uh, library of biblical texts outside of the Vatican, and it's been going since the 500s. And we stopped at this little visit, village of St. Catharines, which is at the foot of Mount Sinai. And 
let me tell you about some of my experiences at Mount Sinai because I think it helps you to understand again, as I say, you, you know, Moses hears these words, you've stayed long enough at this mountain, but what was this mountain? This was an amazing mountain. So, so I'm at St. Catherine's Village and our tour group gets told that we can do the thing that I hate doing. What's that? Shopping. I mean, if you ever see me uh, in Carousel or something and Rosemary and I are there, you know that I've done something terribly wrong, that I'm having to make amends to Rosemary and going shopping with her to kind, kind, kind of reconcile in some way. I, I hate shopping. So, so you, you know, for us to get told at St. Catherine's, right, okay, you, can, you can have a little time to go shopping. And I mean, there's nowhere to shop, really. There's just the tiniest of little villages. But at any rate, the rest of our group find spaces that look kind of shopping-like, and I go into this tiny little shop. Uh, no one else chooses to go there. Uh, I'm the only person there, and there's the, the, the shop owner there, and I think he quickly susses out that I'm not really interested in buying anything. And he's an older man. Well, I thought he was old then. He's actually probably about the age I am now. But uh, we, get, we get talking, and he says, oh, would you like some coffee? And he, he makes me some, some amazing Turkish coffee. Uh, and I must admit, when I drank it, I thought, oh, I wonder if this is going to be like, am I going to be drugged or something like that? And it felt like a bit of an adventure. But he starts to speak, and he tells me that he actually grew up in the USA. And he said that uh, about a decade ago, his wife had died. And he said that quite shortly after that, his daughter died of leukemia. And he said he had a daughter and a son, and he said his son was actually a priest and was one of the priests or one of the monks at St. Catherine's Monastery. And so he had thought, well, my wife has died, my daughter has died, my son is a monk in the, the monastery of St. Catherine's. I think I'll go and live there. And so he had made this journey from the USA to the middle of the desert, where he's running a little shop where no one shops, and giving free coffee to people who come in. And he talks to me about his extraordinary encounters with God that he's had in this place in the desert in the middle of nowhere and how God has met him and how he has found a peace and tranquility in his life that he had never ever found or experienced before. And we talked probably for about an hour and at the end I still remember him just, just reaching over and shaking my hand and saying to me, go with God, young man, go with God. And I left and I just felt so close to God. It was an extraordinary experience. I didn't buy anything. I just had this blessing of this man who had gone to, this, to Mount Sinai and found God. And when I was there, our tour group decided that we would climb Mount Sinai, as people do. And we did. We climbed kind of to, to the top of Mount Sinai. It's not a particularly difficult mountain to, to, to climb. Uh, got there, and they'd asked me if I would preach from Mount Sinai. So if you were asked to preach in Mount Sinai, what, what sermon would you preach? Uh, I mean, it's, it's from, for preachers, it's actually quite a, it's a lovely experience. And I, I chose, come on, some of you know which I'd have to preach from. It would be... 1 Kings 19, wouldn't it? 1 Kings 19 is that extraordinary passage where, where Elijah, exhausted after the encounter with the prophets of Baal, runs away in despair and depression and anxious for his life. And there on Mount Sinai, or Mount Horeb, as it's also called, uh, hears the still small voice of God coming to him. And I must say that passage did mean a lot more to me when I was there because if you remember that, that, that particular encounter, there's this great wind that comes up and we're told God's not in the wind and there's the earthquake and we're told God is not in the earthquake and, and there's the fire that comes. And I think that that's the thing that really struck me because you look there and you say, how can there be a great fire at Mount Sinai because there's nothing but rock there. There's nothing to actually burn. There's nothing to catch a light. There's nothing there but rock. It's the desert. And so if there's a fire, 
fire that's suddenly there. How can you say God is not in that? It must be God. And yet God says, don't be impressed by those things. Just listen for the still, small voice of God. And so, yes, I spoke on Mount Sinai about listening for the still, small voice of God. And then the next day, we had just a couple of hours to ourselves, and I went just a little bit into the desert, couldn't, couldn't go very far, and that wouldn't have been safe, but went there, and uh, Rosemary and I had been invited to pastor church in New Zealand. It was that that time a great crisis when we were trying to decide if we would leave South Africa, move to New Zealand, take on this church that had asked us to pastor there. And it was in the desert that I heard God saying in just the clearest of clearest words, go and I will go with you. So, so Mount Sinai, when, when I think of it, I think of it as this thin place, this place of extraordinary encounter with God. And it's not just thousands of years ago. It's still to this day. Somehow it's one of those places that you just want to stay there. And so, so if, you, if you kind of go back to the passage... Moses is recollecting, he's an older man, he's just about to die. Uh, they're on the verge of entering the promised land. He's recounting their time, and he recounts the time, and it's relatively early in their journey. They would have been at Mount Sinai for about a year, and probably the second year of, of, of their wilderness wanderings. They stay there for a year, and he recounts the time that they heard God coming to them and saying, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Time to move on. And if you ask yourself, so what did that mountain mean for Moses? It was for Moses an extraordinary mountain. Do, do, do you remember? Uh, there we go. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses has been in the wilderness now for 40 years. He's been tending sheep. And one day as he's walking by the mountain of God, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, there is a bush and it's burning. And he, he goes up to the bush, and as he looks at it, it's surprising because it's burning, but it's not being burnt up. And incidentally, and if you go to the little monastery of St. Catherine's at the foothills of, of, of Mount Sinai, there is a bush, which they claim is the burning bush. Now, we, we can't know whether it is or whether it isn't, but that's certainly the claim that the monks make. And what we do know is that that bush has been there since the monastery was started 1,500 years ago. So at the very least, it's a bush that's 1,500 years ago, and they would say that it's 3,000-plus years old. And it's the bush where God met with Moses. Well, perhaps, perhaps not. But as Moses is there at Mount Sinai, there is a bush that is burning, and God comes and speaks to him. And God introduces himself to him as, I am who I am. I am who I am, which in the Hebrew comes across as a verb, so that if you say, what does that mean? It kind of means God is speaking, something is going to happen. My name is, something is going to happen. I am the God of doing, I'm the God who's active, and I'm actually calling you now, Moses, and I'm calling you by name, and I'm saying, if they say to you, who has sent me, say, the God who does has sent, 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 sent me to you. And so it's here in Mount Sinai that, that Moses learns the name of God and meets with God. And, and he's terrified. If, if you remember, Moses was a very reluctant leader. And in, in Exodus 3, verse 12, he, he kind of tries to find a way out. And he's saying, you, you know, I can't be the person that you actually send. And how will I know that you sent me? And what does God say to him? God says, you will know that I sent you when, when you and the people who've come out of Egypt worship me here on this mountain. And years before, 
before it's actually happened. When God actually encounters Moses, he says to him, Moses, you will know because here on this mountain, you will see all these thousands and thousands of people who've been released from Egypt and you will worship me and then you will remember, aha, I didn't just imagine that. God really did meet with me. And here we are, and we're worshiping together on Mount Sinai, but you have stayed long enough on this mountain. You have stayed long enough on this mountain. I love this mountain, Moses would have been saying. This is the mountain where I first met with God. This is where we discovered God's name. This is the mountain where God encountered me. It was also an extremely practical mountain. If you go to, to Exodus chapter 18, it was as they arrive at Sinai, as they arrive at this mountain, they stop. And Moses is just exhausted as a leader. He's been, he's been trying to do everything. He's making the, the, the very common leadership mistake of trying to be the person who is responsible for everything and does absolutely everything. And it's there that his father-in-law, Jethro, comes to him and says, you're going to exhaust yourself. Just share the load. Appoint other leaders. Get, get, get other people to help you in the task. And so it's here that Moses actually says, oh my goodness, leadership's so much easier when you do it as a team together. So it was a, a breakthrough place for him. Of course, most significantly at Mount Sinai, it's the place where they receive the Ten Commandments, where Moses is given the law. It's the law that changes the world. It's the law which impacts the way in which we view the world, even to this day. I mean, don't say that this is not a significant mountain. It's a hugely important mountain in the history of the world. Because it's there that Moses receives this, the, the, this law from God. And it is there when Moses encounters God that the Israelites notice that his face is radiant and shining. Because he's actually met God face to face. He's met God face to face. And they come back and he has to actually cover his face because it's just so remarkable, this encounter that he's had. So when they hear, you've stayed long enough at this mountain... It's not an easy thing to hear because it's a place that's really nice to be in. It's a, it's a really constructive place as well. I mean, do you remember? Where's the tabernacle built? Do you remember the, 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 the tabernacle sign of the presence of God, which the Israelites carried with them through their, their wilderness wandering? It's built at Sinai, and all the instructions for the tabernacle are given there as well, and it's built at this mount. I mean, this is a very constructive place. Don't, don't, don't say they've been told, uh, you, you know, been long enough this mountain because they're wasting their time. Really good things are happening there. Of course, no stories are altogether good, are they? When Moses goes to receive the law from God, he goes up into the mountain and... It turns out to be longer than the people imagined. And as he's away for about 50 days, the people start to, I mean, they can see that something's going on in the mountain, but they think maybe Moses has died or whatever, and they, they lose heart. And, and do you remember, this is the place where they build the golden calf. And as they build the golden calf, they actually, I mean, it's, it's extraordinarily disappointing, isn't it? Here God is meeting with Moses face to face. Moses is receiving the law. And down at the bottom of the, the mountain, the people are saying, oh, perhaps Moses has died. Or perhaps we followed the wrong God. Or perhaps a, 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 an idol would be suitable to worship instead. And they build the golden calf. And suddenly Sinai, which has been this, this wonderful place, suddenly becomes this terrible place of sin and of rebellion against God and about everything suddenly going badly wrong. So what is Sinai? Is Sinai this, Mount Sinai, is it this glorious place of knowing God? Or do you remember this place as rebellion against God? Because that did happen there as well, and we've, we've got to face that. Maybe Mount Sinai is therefore this place that is like 
every place, just places where sometimes we draw close to God and sometimes we rebel and we sin and we do that which we should not do. Both happen at Mount Sinai, both happen. But as a, as a result, as a result of their disobedience at Mount Sinai, God says to Moses, so go, go from this place. You, you, you have a bigger journey that you're supposed to do. Out from here, no longer can you be here. Go and, and in some of the most devastating words in scripture, in Exodus 33 verse three, God says to Moses, now because of this terrible sin that you've committed, because you've worshiped this golden calf, because you've done that, go, but I will not go with you. Go, but I will not go with you. And, and it almost sounds as though God is saying, here I am, this is my mountain, this is where I introduce myself to you, here I am and I'm God here. You get out of my presence now because you have been in my presence and yet you have worshipped idols even while being here. So go, get away and I'm not going to have anything to do with you anymore. Off with you. Thank you very much. It's, it's devastating. And, and Moses has to think, oh my goodness, do I, do I really have to take these people to a promised land without the presence of God? How can I do that? How could I ever manage that task at all and Moses is a very 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 wise man and he does what all wise leaders do he argues back with God and says God you can't ask me to do that because if you do not go with us then we will never survive and God, what you've asked us to do is just too difficult and it is too hard. And God, please change your mind in this. And, and, and you see, we sometimes think that it's wrong to argue with God. But sometimes God is testing us. Sometimes God is saying, so how serious are you in your relationship with me? What will you settle for? So, so if I say to you, go, but I'm not going with you. Will you just say, that's fine, we'll pick up an idol, thank you very much. We'll build another golden calf over there, because actually, if you don't want to be with us, well, we can find another God. Is that what you're going to say? Or are you going to say, no, we cannot live without you? And in fact, one of the great themes of Deuteronomy, which we'll be unpacking more and more, is, is Deuteronomy 30, uh, verse 19, where God says, Choose, I've, I've, I've set before you life and death. Choose life. And then very poignantly in verse 20, it says, For the Lord is your life. For the Lord is your life. Choose life. The Lord is your life. Never forget. So, so here you go. Go, get out of this place, and I'm not going with you. God, if you won't go with us, we just don't have life at all. You, you, you can't say that to us. Please don't let that actually happen. Uh, you, you are our love. We will not settle for that. And in the argument that ensues ever so beautifully, we're told that God comes around to Moses' way of thinking. God comes around to Moses' way of thinking. And in, uh, in, in Exodus 33, verse 3, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. So that's round one. Round two, verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you 
and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. I mean, it's an astonishing passage, isn't it? It's an astonishing passage of God actually saying, so what will you settle for? Do you know that I am your life? Will you forever say, God, I will only move on if you go with me, if you go with me? And so we come back to Deuteronomy, and Moses, the old Moses, is recollecting, and he's saying, he remembers the time when God says, you've stayed long enough on this mountain. You've stayed long enough at this mountain. It's been a place of extraordinary blessing. You have met me. You've learned my name. You have been so close to me that your face has glowed, but you've stayed long enough, and it's time to move on. And of course, the purpose of the journey of the Israelites was never to get to Mount Sinai, it was to build a land. And the purpose of building the land was not to build a land, but if you, you remember, God had called Abraham, and Genesis 12, verse 3, God has said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm telling you this, that your descendants are going to be as numerous as the grains of sand on the sea, and all the nations of the world will be blessed because of you, and all the nations of the world will be blessed because of you. And, he, and God doesn't just say that to Abraham. He says to each of the patriarchs. So, so, so to Isaac, he says it again. You know, all the nations of the world will be blessed because of you. And then to Jacob, he says it again. And all the nations of the world will be blessed because of you. So, so here we are, we're at Mount Sinai. And it's this place where we, your people, can worship God and feel wonderfully close to God. And God says, but that's not the reason that you're here. The reason is that you, in fact, form a land that all the nations in the world will be blessed. And it's not about you. And it's not about you feeling blessed. It's actually about your reaching the world, that all the nations in the world will be blessed. Uh, I don't know if you know. Uh, Robert Frost's beautiful poem. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep, miles to go before I sleep. The mountain is lovely, it's dark, it's deep. Love to stay here forever. You know, just, 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 just meeting God face to face. But I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. Miles to go before I sleep. I guess the disciples, the inner core of the disciples had that kind of experience as well, didn't they? Matthew chapter 17, the mountain of transfiguration. Uh, Peter, James, John go up with Jesus onto this mountain. And God meets with them there, and it's so wonderful. And Peter says, do you remember what Peter says? Let's just build some tabernacles here, and we'll all stay here. We'll be in this mountain forever, and it will be so wonderful because God is here face to face. And Jesus says, no, you've got to come down off the mountain, and you've got to go into God's world, and you've got to serve God in the world. And I guess that there is always a temptation to want to hold on to those moments when we are close to God 
and forget that the reason for the blessing is that we overflow into the lives of the world and that God has called us not to Mount Sinai, but to be light to the world. That God, in fact, says, it's time to move on there. It's right that you have special places, and, and it's right that you meet with me. And, and yes, you can have a mountain of encounter. So, so, so even, you, you know, in the Bible, Mount, Mount Sinai stands as, as this place that you can escape back to from time to time. So I mentioned Elijah. Do you remember Elijah exhausted? 1 Kings 19, I've just got to get out of everything for a while. And he rushes back to Mount Sinai and God meets with him and speaks to him in a small, small, small still voice. But do you remember what God actually said to Elijah? Do you remember? Elijah... What are you doing here? Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you escaping back to Mount Sinai? I've actually called you to a mission. Get, I mean, it's lovely to see you, but get on with your mission in the world. Get on with your mission in the world. And you know, sometimes even, dare I say it, sometimes even church can be an escape from the mission of God when we gather. I mean, we must remember that the reason of our gathering together is the overflow into the weak, into the world. And that you and I come here not to escape here, but to be equipped here to be God's people in God's world. And, and the reason is because God said, I've chosen you that all the nations in the world might be blessed. Mount Sinai reminds us also that it is possible, it is possible sometimes to have the dreams of our youth and to give up on them, and to settle for Sinai instead of for the promised land. Frederick Schiller said, stay true to the dreams of your youth. And, and I wonder if there's been a time that God has challenged you to do something, and you have thought, I'm going to do that. But somewhere along the way, you got actually quite comfortable, and what you're doing now is actually quite nice, but it's not really what the dream was. And you're stopping at Sinai instead of going to the land God has called you to. And you're settling for second best. And maybe God is saying, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. You, you, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. It's, it's not terrible. I mean, it's been a mixture of all kinds of things. But you've stayed long enough now. Now, now go. And will you go with me or without me? fight to go with me, stay close with me, and go in and be faithful to all the promises you have made, because the blessing that I've given to you is that everyone would be blessed. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep. You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for those extraordinary times in our walk with you where we feel close to you and we know your presence close to us. But thank you that you challenge us to keep moving on. Help us not to settle for second best, to remember that you have called us to be your people and your world for all the courage that that might take from us. We pray that you would so reassure us of your presence with us that we would find the faith, the confidence, and the hopefulness to move off the mountain 
into the world into which you've called us. Amen.